This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Have you tried to find a new family doctor lately? It's a tough assignment, and here's why. Canada has almost 20% fewer doctors per capita than the OECD average. New research from the Fraser Institute finds that in 2015, Canada had 2.7 doctors for every 1,000 people, where other developed countries have 3.4 physicians for every 1,000. Germany leads the pack with 4.1 doctors for every 1,000 people. Now, we are not likely to close the gap anytime soon. We are set to go up to three docs per thousand by 2030, and this as the population ages, and we need more physicians. And not only are boomer patients getting older, so are boomer doctors. So what happens when your doctor retires? And uh, for most of us, we choose a doctor who's actually a little older than we are. We want to hear from you. What are your experiences with that? And uh, what are your thoughts on it? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. Right now, we've got the co-author of this report, Bacchus Barua, who is the Associate Director of Health Policy Studies at the Fraser Institute, and Dr. Mary Fernando, who's been researching this area for the past decade. Uh, Hello, and welcome to you both. Good morning. Thank you so much for having us on the show. Okay. Uh, Bacchus, let's start with you. First of all, um, uh, this is not exactly a news story, if I'm not mistaken. No, you know, I I think we all know that physicians are an an essential and incredibly important part of our healthcare system. Um, And it's very, very unfortunate that when we look at ourselves compared to other countries in the OECD and we look at all physicians together, there's general practitioners and specialists, um, we find that we actually rank very, very poorly, and we've done so for quite a lot of time. Um, It's something that uh, was a quite different story uh, in the early 80s. It's something that's changed over time, uh, and it's slowly just become worse. Um, what's really interesting about this study is apart from looking at our historical projections and you know talking about the story about how this changed over time, uh, is we also created a model to project how the physician supply uh, is going to look in the future. And unfortunately, for those people who were hoping uh, that this would change dramatically given uh, the recent increase in enrollments, um, our model is showing that it's only going to increase very, very marginally and in no way is going to come close to uh, what the OECD present-day average is. Uh, Dr. Mary Fernando, uh, what is the reason for this? Um, I think that this is it's a complicated uh, set of reasons. One is that... Um, in the 80s, um, there was a study, Bayer-Stoddard study, which showed that we should cut medical school spots. Alongside that, there was a sense that doctors and doctor numbers are a social construct, and there was no ideal doctor number. Um, 
And I think that those two things have not allowed us to use methods that could effectively retain and attract our doctors. Um, I just want to point out that alongside this three number that Bacchus is talking about, um, there were there were a couple of landmark studies by the OECD, um, 21 countries over 30 years, that showed robust doctor numbers decreased mortality. Now, Bacchus, I think you've done some really good research showing how many people have died possibly in Canada because of doctor shortages. If I'm not mistaken, that is in your... Um, the effective wait times on mortality in Canada. Do you have that, Bacchus? Yeah, um, that's a study we actually did did a couple of years ago, which was um, looking at the very, very broad relationship between um, wait times in Canada and uh, and mortality. And what we found was that there was a statistically positive relationship between um, the the length of the wait times and mortality. And about four, we we calculated more than forty thousand uh, women would have uh, could have died because of uh, increase in wait times. Uh, could have time. or did. Um, well, it's a statistical relationship. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that we have to always uh, caution when we say that. It was statistically significant, um, unlike what we found for, for men. Um, but this is one of those things which, you know, we're very, very certain of the fact that, uh, you know, a shortage um, of any of these uh, resources uh, can and does have a very real effect when it comes to hospitals. When we look at very, very small studies, it's much harder to pick out these things at, um, at a broader level. Uh, but one of the interesting things that, that I think um, uh, the doctor was pointing to was uh, we, we did find um, a, a relationship when it came to um, the mix of doctors um, and, and the number of doctors. But this is really more about the overall system to me um, because we have situations where you might actually have doctors graduating and aren't able to get employment. We have situations where you have uh, doctors who are in the system and aren't able to actually deliver services because there's not enough money. Uh, we actually have situations where you might have doctors, um, but because we don't have any cost-sharing, tempering patient demand, we might be actually getting a lot of patients who actually don't need to access the doctors, um, accessing the doctors. I, uh, I want to pick up on, on something you just said, because that was mm-hmm. my impression, that on the one hand we have this shortage, but on the other hand you, you have uh, people who have graduated who can't get a spot. And also I'm wondering about the situation with uh, foreign doctors. There are a lot of foreign doctors who can't work. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a very um, I, I hesitate to use that word, but a very ironic situation where um, I, I I see the history of, of physicians blind Canada in, in sort of three waves. In in, in between the sixties to the eighties, um, we actually had um, a fairly good physician to population ratio. Uh, in the eighties, it started to go down. Um, as the doctor mentioned correctly, in in nineteen ninety one, where the Barrett Start report, we saw um, basically a, a plateauing of the physician supply, and the rest of the OECD countries went ahead. Governments realized that this was a mistake, tried to fix this in the 2000s, increased medical school enrollment. We have new doctors graduating, but I mean, there are also studies saying that I think it was 16% of newly graduated doctors in uh, after about 2010 weren't able to find employment. This is a really sad situation because we know that there are many cases where, um, where there are Need, where there's a need for doctors. We know that there are patients on waiting lists um, which are far longer than there are in other countries, but there is something about our system, something about the way that it is funded, something about the way that care is delivered, um, something about the incentives uh, that prevents this from happening. Uh, I would... 
Oh, Mary, I was going to ask you. Now, you say that uh, a lot of the, the I, I mean, I know that in the 80s, there, there was a bit of a brain drain to the United States. Um, I also know that subsequently, there are a lot of, uh, you know, doctors from the States who choose to practice here. But you're, you're saying that a problem is that we don't necessarily retain doctors who train here, correct? Um, I don't. I think um, the numbers showing uh, U.S. doctors coming into the States are less from the States into Canada are well below even 500 bucks. You are probably more familiar with these statistics than I am. However, there is a study, I think it's from 2016, um, showing that we have over 11,000 Canadian-trained physicians in the U.S. right now. Uh-huh. Now, that is a significant number, so the brain drain is not a small number. It's a large number. And as for international medical school graduates, there was a 2009 study showing that um, <clears throat> the IMGs, who uh, international medical graduates, who completed a residency program in Canada worked less than three years before moving abroad. So the factors that Bacchus has clearly talked about, and I think accurately so, um, are problems that send our doctors out of Canada, whether they be international medical graduates or graduates who have trained here. And I do know some doctors who have left this country, and I can only speak from personal experience. If you're a Canadian with strong roots in this country, you leave, you don't leave easily. You try to stay if you can. This is where your family is. This is where your friends are. This is a community um, that most people want to stay in. So to keep our doctors, we need to be far better at making Canada, Ontario more attractive. Okay, there be, I want to take some calls, but I also want to throw something out. Um, you know, people go to medical school. It, it does cost a fair bit of money, but really the taxpayers, uh, you know, pick up quite a share of that. It's not like going to medical school in the United States. Should should we um, enforce, should we make sure that, that people who have benefited from uh, studying in our medical system actually, uh, you know, pay it forward by having to work here for a certain amount of time? Well, you know, I, I, I really want to jump in there because the, the thing is, the question is, uh, you know, the, uh, Canadian doctors leaving is, is definitely a significant issue. It's, it's, it's not the largest issue that we uh, have over here um, and, and, and the primary reason why we don't have enough doctors. But when we're talking about that, one of the things we have to understand is if they are leaving, and, and there are a lot who do leave, why is it the case that they do? Is it simply because they're better opportunities or is it because they are not getting those opportunities over here? In which case, it's really not their fault. So, you know, one of the things that, that I, tend, I tend to string a lot of these things together and I see a lot of connections with the fact that, you know, in Canada, we have A, a government monopoly over the financing of the system and B, therefore, we have what are called global budgets in hospitals. When you have global budgets in hospitals, essentially, hospitals are not really being incentivized to treat patients. They, they see patients as a cost eating into their budget. In most other countries, it's based on activity. And why this is important is because when you have those budgets, when you, when you structure things that way, it makes it a situation where even if you do have doctors, even if you do have operating room times, they might not be able to be actually um, able to deliver their services. So you have the hospitals, you have the doctors graduating, but if the hospital is not 
uh, able to hire the doctor, it's really not the doctor's fault if they're if they're leaving the country. Um, I'm sure a lot of uh, Canadian doctors uh, would like to stay and treat their patients if they were allowed to do so. But we've set it up in such a way where, in a lot of cases, it may be actually against the laws of the province to deliver care outside um, outside the public system and the money available there. And you are. I, thank you. That that was. You're absolutely right in terms of physicians. The other piece of that is that if we ask physicians to stay, um, I'm not sure about the legalities of that, um, but we're also asking foreign doctors to come here. You can't do both. And we have, uh, it's just a very complicated thing. I think the question is, do you want our doctors to stay with a carrot or a stick? And I think we need a very small carrot. Canada's a wonderful country. Doctors leave with great regret. And if we could make it easier for them to practice and do so, as Bacchus has explained clearly well, manage their patients well, um, I think you would have doctors staying. For example, right now, we have Bill C-29 from the federal government that is making it very difficult for doctors to stay, and a lot of doctors are going to leave because of it. If we start to change things to make it even more uh, difficult... Just, what, are you referring to uh, the small business rules? The the, fed, the government walked those back. Um. They have, it's unclear where they stand at this point. We've heard very little from them, but the walking it's, them it's, back. It's, it's not that unclear because there, there were a basket of measures that almost seemed to target uh, doctors in terms of uh, small business and the amount of uh, money that you could keep in your business. Uh, and now the only part of that that they have retained is a requirement that if you s- income split, um, the family member you income split with has to actually work in the business. That's the only thing that's remained. Um, the Financial Post put out um, a new article and um, again this isn't my area, but uh, they showed that retained earnings within a corporation for small business and doctors um, would be taxed at over a hundred percent. That's uh, that's only um, it, it, that's uh, at an extremely I forget the number, but it's like a million bucks or something. Uh, they they walk that back significantly, and and even the doctors' organizations, uh, you know, came out and and said that they're glad that that happened. Absolutely, and oh. they also allowed fifty thousand in passive savings within the corporation, which was a good thing. Um, because that's how physicians fund their exactly. maternity leave. Exactly. Um, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's go to the phones. We've got Joan in North York. Hello, Joan. Yes, I'd like to talk about in Ontario. Uh-huh. Um, there was a surgeon in his 50s that did shoulder replacements, had been doing them for years, but our premier decided that we don't need those. It will just cut the number he could do and amount they would be paid for. So he was forced to go to the states. So I blame it on our premier in Ontario. You know, just so Wynne's putting out a lot of things now for trying to get in for the next term for election, but she's cutting back with an aging population that things need to be done. But she doesn't. What can I, I'm just blaming her for one of the. Was was there a cap? Uh, need a, was it a cap or something? Because. 
there was a was there a cap or something? Because uh, as far yeah, as I know, the cap shoulder was put on and put back, put back. The residents that were going through to as a surgeon to do shoulder replacements, they can't get jobs because they're not getting paid. So they're getting their education here, and they're going to the states because premier our premier doesn't believe that. They need to have shoulder replacements. Well, so there there paid. are shoulder replacements being done here. It might have well, been cut back, though. Let, 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 yeah. let me just jump, jump yeah. in for a second because, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know this specific case, but I think it's really um, alluding to, to a much larger and, and very serious issue that we have, and that's that we have a closed system where if, if you don't have the money for something, you have to find ways to cut back on the services. Um, so we have a situation right now where for years, Provinces have been ramping up spending like crazy in the healthcare sector, uh, healthcare sector to the extent that sorry I'm a little jet lagged actually um, to to the extent that the um, the budgets have actually uh, healthcare is actually consuming up to forty percent or larger of their budgets. It's also consuming a larger portion of the provincial GDP. So we've been on an unsustainable path when it comes to spending for a really long time. Unfortunately, a lot of that money has not actually been translating into actual services being delivered. And because of the closed system, because doctors do not have the opportunity or the freedom to actually treat their patients outside the public system, it creates a situation where, yes, in some cases there have to be caps, in some cases uh, services do have to be cut, and in some cases when there are new physicians, as we mentioned, who are graduating, cannot actually be hired. This is really about the entire system as a whole. There's another really interesting issue that we have, which is that you know, when it comes to the issue of cost sharing, I, I, I know that it's a very contentious thing to talk about, but it is important because we, we need to help patients also understand what services are actually really necessary and need to be seen by uh, a physician and which services actually are just, you know, a small cut on the finger. So it's it's really from both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of doctors do are, are working in education and are trying to, working to try to do that. And uh, there are other professions like pharmacists who are getting permission to uh, have more and more services. Um, I want to take a call from Ida in Mississauga, but just, uh, you know, make the point that that um, n- not everyone agrees that the problem is that there's no uh, private pay medicine. Some 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 people would argue that um, the money there's a huge amount of money being spent, but not necessarily in the right way. And that's where I would be. I'm actually more interested in bolstering the public system. Okay, um, let's just take a call from Ida in Mississauga. Hello, Ida. Hi. Um, how are you? Fine. How are you? I'm not great. But anyway, I'll get over it. Hopefully, um, I yes. Make, I hope so. I want to make two points here. Um, I, obviously, I, I live in Mississauga. We have a lot of clinics, and I swear almost every clinic advertises doctors will accept new patients. I had a doctor at uh, Eglinton and Avenue Road, and I just got sick of the drive. And I went to the clinic in my pharmacy, by the way, and uh, saw this doctor, a female doctor, and she's wonderful, and I'm with her, and uh, she's still accepting new patients as far as I know. (coughs) Excuse me, she's... She's so buttoned down on everything. I mean, she just 
you know, she just doesn't treat me like a, <clears throat> you know, let's get her in and out of here. You know, that's a that's a that's a good news story. I like to hear stories like that. She's, she's wonderful. She did move because she was on the lakeshore, and she moved over to the Queensway across from the Utrillium Hospital, which is you know just as handy for me. Um, is she really young? Um, I'm I'm I have to guess maybe thirty five ish. Not not brand new, um, Ida. I'm I'm really happy to hear that. You know, I've I've heard a lot of other stories about how hard it can be. Well, but um, the I'm happy. The interesting thing is, I'm sorry to interrupt. The interesting thing is, like you, you know, I was thinking, okay, my doctor's getting older. I've been with the family first, the father, then the brother, then the other doctor, the younger kid. <laughs> Who's now looking at retiring? I'm. I'm. I was thinking, so I phoned him and I said, "Hey, we were on a first name basis." So I just said, "Hey, Robert, you know, I just can't do this drive anymore, you know, to uh, Avenue Road in Eglinton because he only had saw patients in the afternoon." And he said, very cavalierly, I thought he said, "So get another doctor." Well, you know, he was, said, be, he was. I already did. He's being honest with you, and it worked out. Ida, thank you very much for your call. Okay, one other. May uh, I no, one got other, it. Wait. We've got to go. Sorry, thanks. Okay. Okay, uh, we have to take a quick break, and we will be right back with a bit more on this when we come back on the other side of the break. Fight back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Uh, We have been talking about a new Fraser Institute study which shows that Canada lags behind in the number of physicians per capita and that that is a big problem that is only set to get worse as the population ages. Uh, We are close to being out of time on this, so I'd like to go back to our experts. And uh, let's start with you, Dr. Mary Fernando. What would you like to leave us with on this? Um. I think one of the things in the study and one of the things that has been reiterated time and time again is we spend more money than the average OECD country. We have fewer doctors. I'd like to point out we also have fewer hospital beds. So as we move forward, I think there should be pressure on governments to invest in patient care, in doctors, in nurses, in hospital beds. As opposed to administration? (laughs) And in not in well, obviously, if if we have fewer of all these resources, where mm-hmm. is it going? So I think if we're going to, as voters, make a difference, we need to ask, invest in the things that matter to patients. Okay, Bacchus, what would you like to leave us with? Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm going to say is is actually tempering our conclusion in one one particular way, and that's that one of the things we don't know is how technology is going to change. Uh, we don't know what sort of new drugs are going to come into the market. We don't know what the effect of personal health care monitors, uh, whether it's going to increase or decrease services is. So, so there, there is a certain sort of um, uh, situation where it's possible that the doctors can uh, be replaced to a certain extent for certain services. But physicians will always remain an essential and very, very important part obvious part of our healthcare system. So to the extent that people care about the fact that we 
despite as as as, as Dr. Mary said, spending, uh, being one of the largest spenders on healthcare uh, amongst universal healthcare countries, that we have one of the lowest ratios of physicians. We have one that we have, I think, the lowest ratio of acute care beds. That we consistently have the longest wait times. Uh, for healthcare in the developed world, and we are facing an aging population going forward. This is something that we need to like understand is just another manifestation of the system that we've set up. I think we fundamentally need to think about the incentives we have in place, the freedoms that we have in place, and why other countries with universal healthcare don't institute the same policies that we have in Canada. We are unique not because we have a universal healthcare system, but because of the way that we do universal healthcare. And one of the consequences is the sort of physician supply that we see, the sort of wait times that we see, the patients who are waiting for family doctors. It's um, if, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you're going to get the same results, and we're not going to be seeing much change according to our model. Okay. Thank you both. Back is Barua. And Dr. Mary Fernando. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.